Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com, joined by Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. Crisis and opportunity. Yeah, that's uh, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose. Um, so I've I've got something interesting, really intriguing to uh, to start off with today. Well, I was uh, I was only saying that. Sorry to cut in because that was your weekly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I realize I realize that, but um, I'm just I'm just hedging my hedging my bets in every conceivable manner. Right. So so, so the thing I find, you know, well, one of the many things I find incredible about what's going on is the speed with which things are changing. Yeah. So not only the markets changing and oscillating wildly on a daily basis, but the news the news flow. The the the, pot, the 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 universe of possible outcomes, all of this stuff, it's just it's just it's completely crazy. But the thing I was going to sort of the bombshell I was going to drop or, mm. or or gently suggest two pieces from the Economist that uh, I think are extremely interesting. I don't normally read the Economist anymore, but uh, my fiance does, and uh, she and actually the arguably some of their best coverage is in the science section. So the bizarre thing about this this you know the, the media environment is that the the Economist, I would say, you don't read The Economist for the economics, you read it for the other stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the, the obituaries are fantastic, I, for example. I don't, but, uh, I, don't, I don't read it at all, but yeah. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, but, I see what you mean, yeah. And the same way, you wouldn't read the FT for the economics, you'd read it for the film reviews, but sadly yeah. Nigel Andrews is retired now, so even that's even that's gone to the wall. Anyhow, enough, be, enough beating about the bush. So uh, two pieces, and we can put a link to them uh, in the show notes. One is from January the 4th, and the other is from February the 1st. Um, uh, let me see. Um, January the 4th one. I'm just going to read a, a, a select article. Um, blah, blah, blah. The NIH, this is from, uh, basically, this is American security issues and, you know, biovirus and all that kind of stuff. The NIH says that it has identified 180 researchers to whom it has provided grants who may not have disclosed payments from or other affiliations with Chinese institutions, including some who appear to have established shadow labs in China, mirroring their NIH-funded ones in America. In 2019, two research institutions, MD Anderson, a cancer research center in Houston, and Emory University in Atlanta, cut ties with five researchers, all of them ethnically Chinese, who had taken money from China. In December, federal authorities, uh, this is a key point, in December last year, federal authorities arrested a Chinese cancer researcher at Logan Airport in Boston after he allegedly tried to smuggle to China vials of biological material taken from a Harvard teaching hospital. His Harvard-sponsored visa has also been revoked. So that's from January the 4th. And then this is from, uh, and I need to check actually what the NIH is. It's the uh, National Institutes of Health um, in the States. Uh, so this is a, an update on this sort of story, this theme from February the 1st, The Economist again. On January 28th, agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation arrested um, this guy called Ch Dr. Charles Lieber. Um, on a charge of lying to federal authorities about his having denied his alleged participation in something called the Thousand Talent Program, which is a Chinese program. He was jailed pending a court hearing on January 30th. Harvard placed him on administrative leave and said it was cooperating with the authorities while conducting its own review. Dr. Lieber's lawyer did not respond to a request for comment. The Justice Department also announced charges against two Chinese nationals who had been in Boston ostensibly as researchers. One, a lieutenant in the People's Liberation Army, who is now in China, allegedly worked on behalf of PLA officials and has been charged with visa fraud, conspiracy and making false statements to federal investigators. The other, who is under arrest, allegedly tried in December to smuggle to China 21 vials of material stolen from a teaching hospital. Right. So um, to try, now I'm not, I'm not just sort of, you know, making sort of ridiculous aspersions, but this is an, a credible uh, publication. 
and there's clearly something going on there. My my whole big thing point is, and there's a few essays that I think we touched on in the last um, the last full format podcast, and we'll I think they may be in the show notes, but if not, we can repeat them in the show notes for this one. My my humble suggestion is that World War Three has already started and it just hasn't been declared yet. Yeah. So what so what you're basically saying is that they've been trying to to create this this a a potentially a virus and th- those were the attempts that were stopped. Well, uh, what I was saying is the ti- I mean f- for conspiracy theorists the timing just looks um a little bit too good to be true that you have a, a Chinese I think a Chinese person um arrested at uh Logan Airport with vials of uh, American just let's just call it material and then uh, in later in December or perhaps in January, but I think the timing suggests December. There's then you know pa- uh, uh, some kind of mysterious outbreak in Wuhan, yeah. and then the rest is history. I now, wonder. I wonder how, whether that was just a coincidence. Maybe it, it could happened, just be. It, it, it could, could be. just be. It could just be pure coincidence. But yeah. all I'm saying uh, to sort of extrapolate out a bit. All I'm saying is that whether what happened because it seems to be. I don't think anybody. Is denying that this this outbreak started in Wuhan. I don't think anybody is in denying that, apart from the Chinese Communist Party who's trying to blame it on the Americans. Um, <laughs> but so I think that's that's taken by most credible sources as you know as the truth. Um, so all I'm getting at is to that extent, it is kind of academic whether this was a deliberate release of material or whether it was an accidental one. Um, that then just spiraled completely out of control, a la Chernobyl, and exactly the same stuff applies. That you know the authorities immediately cracked down, arrested people for for, for, for telling the truth, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but either way, you know the damage is done now. You know, yeah. the, well, I said the damage is done, but actually the damage hasn't finished being done because you know we've now got half the world or whatever the the, the number of people is involved in a in a lockdown. Economic growth is clearly going to fall off a cliff. And the market's obviously been trying to price that in, so this is not new news to anybody. But what I'm saying is, whether it was deliberate or accidental is is actually no longer relevant. The point is, if, if the if the source was China, and particularly if the source was China doing stuff that frankly was unconscionable, then I say, okay, fine. Well, I'm not I'm not advocating against the Chinese people because they're they're blameless in this. But I am suggesting that if politicians are, are taking this stuff seriously and have their eyes open. Then you know we're into the kind of stuff that, frankly, Trump has been doing all along, which is, well, let's have a trade war with these fuckers. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if, they, I, if they don't, if they don't play by the rules, why the hell should we? Yeah. Uh, but I say I'm not. You now the, the the dream solution for me this, and I'm not pretending this is remotely plausible or, or or possible or likely. But the dream scenario would be, well, I think most I think most sentient Westerners, apart from those attached to the hard left, would say, yeah, the Chinese Communist Party is basically unconscionably ethically you know, awful in every possible sense. And it would be desirable for everybody in the world, including the Chinese people, that it was replaced. But rather than have that done in a hot war, um, let's have it done through trade instead and try and try and exert pressure through sanctions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a brilliant essay that that I first came across yesterday, and I think we, we've got it in the show notes for the Looming podcast with uh, Glenn Goodman, um, po- pointing out that basically all the assertions relating to, and assumptions relating to the rise of China and the West sort of cooperating with China over the last few decades have turned out to be complete bollocks. You know, the idea that if, you know, if, if we help them, they help us. No, I, I, I strongly get the idea that you know, if we've been sort of working and our businesses have been working, our governments have been working with them, 
they've just interpreted that as a sign of weakness. So here's, so here's a proposition for you. And again, I'm, I'm just completely, this is sort of free, you know, free spirit type stuff. And I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Here's a proposition. Instead of trying to rebuild supply lines with China and you know, allowing Huawei to infect our 5G network, how about we have a hard close as far as that's practical when this mess is close to resolution, the, the, the pandemic is close to resolution, and we pivot to India. What's India got for it? Well, it's got a billion plus people. Most of them are extremely poor, but they also speak English. They're a democracy and they respect the rule of law. Job done. Uh, yeah, that last one I'm not quite sure about. Um, but yeah, okay. But I'm uh, not what I'm saying is generally if we if we're gonna if we're gonna be dealing and trading, etc., 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 and and encouraging you know commercial ties with a country, a huge country, and uh, basically a rising uh, power. Yeah. I'd rather it was people we can relate to rather than people who are our sworn enemies. Well, why why can't look? Some of the greatest minds in the world, uh, uh, you know, go to university at Oxford and Cambridge and all those places, and it's not beyond us to to have this technology created ourselves. Why why aren't we doing it ourselves? I mean, we don't uh, need. We we should be designing our own five G network, not not giving yeah. it to the Chinese. I mean, I, and, I, and, I completely agree. Completely and agree. I think also there's um there's another area of the world that I think is a hotbed of startups and and very smart people, and that's Israel. I, I completely agree. And and so we just need to pivot basically. And if if anything good comes out of this, um, which I'm sure there will be some positives at the end, um, you know, it could be that w- given Brexit and everything else that's happening, maybe we could just think of ourselves as an independent, self-sufficient nation. Mm. Stop relying on other countries for food, power, and technology. And and in the end, you know, okay, faster. Faster downloads of, of videos. Yeah, great. It's good for the economy. And, and yeah, I, I get all of that. But it's but not it... worth sacrificing national sovereignty and state security for. Exactly. So, but, so I guess what, where I'm coming from is I'm trying to look through the, the shorter term noise of obviously sort of markets agonizingly trying to work out what, what, what the next steps are and, and looking you know, to that post-resolution you know, uh, environment where we say, okay, well, let's, you know, I mean, people are going to look, be looking at the world you know, once the dust has settled. And that world is going to be completely transformed from the world uh, as we enter 2020, in my view. In you know, view we yeah. are not going back to business as usual after this. Um, the lockdown will have implications at a cultural, social level that will probably be far-reaching. And one of the most moving things I've seen this year is the footage of Steve Baker in, in Parliament talking about how he's reluctantly supporting the, the, the sort of lockdown provisions. But it's extremely moving stuff. And again, we can have a link to that. Yeah, please. Um, I haven't seen this it. Is, this is decision time for people. This is their come to Jesus moment. I, I think when it's over, you're just going to have everybody having a, a big party, you know, just spending time with their families that they've not been able to see, traveling. There'll just be all this pent up demand to go out and just, you know, a, a renewed uh, appreciation of friends, freedom and our lifestyle because what would be what would be really useful so i use for example the example of um daniel defoe's journal of the plague year which i read at university and that's a fairly harrowing account albeit not first hand because i think it was originally from notes left by an uncle of his because he was written well after the fact in whatever it was 1665 um it would be really interesting would be to go back to the history books which i haven't done yet because i've been spending most most recent time talking to clients um but to go back to the history books and seeing how people behaved after previous outbreaks of plague, yeah. what did what did what did social behaviour look like then? Because I just wonder whether, 
you know, you'd like. I, I completely agree that what ought to happen is that we have a one giant party, and we you know we get to spend time with with friends and loved ones, etc., etc., etc. But you know, I just wonder whether you know, surely at least a, a part, a big part of the population is going to be a little bit wary of just suddenly going back to shaking hands again. Yeah, what I, I mean, yeah, I, I saw the fist bump. The bit, the fist bump was coming in anyway, which is, I guess, a bit safer. What my daughter's the el- uh, the elbow bump is safer still, and the well, foot bump is safer still than that. Well, actually, I was just about to say that my my <laughs> at my daughter's school, she was saying that they were doing the elbow bump, yeah. but then they've been told to sneeze into their their arm. Yeah, exactly. You, you so know, that's, so that's yeah, not, that counteracts not so the elbow bump. So I so yeah, maybe maybe you sort whereas, of whereas whereas mic drop time. No, the Japanese just bow. Now, how classy is that? Yeah, or maybe you could just <laughs> sort of do an air wave or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Oh yeah, like kissing on the cheek, bloody hell! Yeah, remember those, yeah, those, yeah. those, those bloody frogs and, <laughs> well, and, and, and sanitary the, bastards and Italians as well. Actually, <laughs> yeah, given, yeah. given that my, my well, they're just they're just a, a society of permanent frotteurs. <laughs> so um, yeah, so what would it look like? I, I you know, I we we I, can't answer we can't answer these questions. It's far too early to say. Yeah, but it's, it's far it's, too it's, it's far it's, too early to to, to know how long this is is going to last. I mean. Although I've, I'm kind of, you know, probably like many people, a bit sort of glass off all, glass off empty on Trump. The fact that I mean, it, it's partly the people who the people who he really intensely annoys are one of the reasons I like him so much, um, because they're exactly the kind of people that you know deserve to be sent to paroxysms of of despair on a, a permanent basis. But sadly, he's 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 in a, a slight state of complete denial when it comes to well, I hope we can reopen the economy by Easter. It's like yeah. I don't think that's really the attitude here you know i think i started to think this through and i know this is extra tim but allow me a a, a thought experiment here um we might be in a better position than the americans and it might be that that you know we, we start to become a bit of a safe haven because if we've handled this correctly as as have the germans mm. if they don't then it's i think it's gonna be a lot worse in america i hate to say it yeah but i really do but, so, but I mean, that's, that's, that's the, if you like, the sort of social and the health situation, which is absolutely right to focus on. Well, yeah, actually, in the same way, I think you can apply exactly the same general principles to the investment side too, which is, and so this is, this is my, my real big point, I suppose. This is all about surviving this, not necessarily trying to exploit it for maximum gain. Yeah. In other words, those people who have, you know, and again, we talked about it yesterday with Glenn, those people who are focused on sort of catching the bottom and you know and and exploiting the recovery, I just I hate to say it, but I, I sense that 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 attitude is still a little bit premature because I don't think we're through the worst of this yet. Yeah. Um. And I, funnily enough, one of the one of the sort of libertarian sites, um, Sovereign Man made this point, and they actually named the guy I was trying to trying to remember from yesterday. Um. So if you bear with me, and I'll tell you exactly who it is. I think it was Stockdale. So there's this guy Stockdale who was in the um, the Air Force in the States, and he was shot down over Vietnam, and um, he was then incarcerated for years and and tortured and all the rest. But he basically, you know, he he made it through the experience, but he but he went down fighting, so he didn't didn't have any, he didn't give them any quarter. Uh, and he said that you know after the fact when he was finally released, he said that the people who basically didn't make it through were the people who said, oh, we'll we'll be out by Christmas or we'll be out by Easter, and they had these perpetual you know experiences of hope dashed that ultimately they, they, they were just destroyed by that they didn't make it out mm. whereas he was a stoic and he survived yeah and i just i i don't think it's stretching an analogy or stretching a metaphor too far to say i would encourage investors not to succumb to the same uh condition which is 
oh, this is surely the worst of it. So, for example, when seeing a nice little bump today, I mean, Asia was particularly strong over there. Asian stock markets were particularly strong. And I, I haven't checked yet, but you may have a screen in front of you. Uh, but I'm imagining we're having a bounce in, in Europe today. And we certainly had a big, big bounce in the Dow overnight uh, last night. But that doesn't mean it's over. It's just, you know, well, it's the Pavlovian response of the, of the markets to, you know, to the Fed and, and whomsoever saying, yeah, here's $2 trillion to throw at the problem. But, you know, my, this is not a problem that's going to be resolved by just throwing money at it. Yeah. I, money, I, is, money is not going to cure the coronavirus. It's, well, hmm. It can clearly improve the mood, but ultimately that's, that's, but, that's basically future money borrowed from the future, payable today. But that, that, that money equates to, you know, higher taxes, higher expenses, you know, a tax on people in the future. Yeah. It's, it, it's not just magic money comes out of thin air. It's a liability as well. Yes, but it's a question of how quickly can people get back to whatever normal is going to be. And if it if if this is if we're a few weeks away from the peak and then things start to return to normal, no one's denying that there's going to be a massive hit in GDP in all the countries mm. and it's going to happen in synchroni- synchronicity with all the other countries. Mm. But also once that's happened, unless there's an autumn uh, reoccurrence. Mm. Um, what else is there to stop the economy? Um, I mean, I, I, I guess the uh, you know everyone's scrambling to become experts in all these different medical fields. I'm not sure you can say we're out of the woods until everybody's been tested. Yeah, but it, you see, if, if everybody, I agree with that. And if everybody's been tested, you'll probably find that more people have had it. And we realize. may actually, you may actually be close to that thing that you know that Dominic Cummings has been lambasted so unfairly for about sort of herd immunity. Yeah. Because I saw a piece; I haven't read the whole thing yet because there's just so much going on. Yeah. But a piece yesterday from I think it was Oxford pointing out that we may actually already have achieved herd immunity. Yeah. I sent me. I got an email this morning that I didn't have chance to read um, because it literally just came before we 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 went on air. But it was mm. um, it was exactly that saying that that a. A majority of the well, a big percentage of the population was the headline who may have already had it because so there are so know. many. And I mean, again, people could be over you know, overblowing stuff that's happened to them, but there are so I've seen so many anecdotal examples of people who said, You know what, I felt a bit felt a bit off weather, you know, over Christmas or over mm. the new year. And I've heard enough of those stories to wonder well, maybe they actually did have it back then, yeah. But you know, it was just like it was just like a, a mild flu. Yeah, because they were young people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we just don't know. So we 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 do need to get those those testing kits out as soon as possible, which there seems to be progress in. And, and just to, just to change <clears throat> gear completely, uh, but it sort yeah. of keeps us to that, if you like, sort of morality or world as should be versus world as is and will be. Well, this is uh, your soapbox, scenario. Tim. So it is my soapbox. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's so, extra well, Tim, not just, extra let me, let, me so just polish, let me just polish the soapbox a little. So I, saw, <laughs> I, I will need to verify this because I don't want to go off half-cocked. Um, but I saw a, a great tweet that I, it needless to say, immediately retweeted. Um, so I'm assuming these figures are correct. But basically it's, um, while COVID-19 was taking up headlines, the CEO of Disney resigned and Nestle, and Lockheed Martin, and IBM, and Microsoft, and Hulu, and LinkedIn, and eBay, and MasterCard, and Volkswagen, and Harley-Davidson, and T-Mobile, and MGM, and Nissan. And then it goes on to say, in the months leading up to the coronavirus spreading worldwide, top government officials shared you know, this information with their fellow senators and captains of industry from many different sects of the corporate class. CEOs are restricted from selling large shares of stock. 
they resign so they'd be able to dump all their shares or retrieve their interest in other companies' stock. And I'm just wondering, that, 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 that's, a, that's a fairly stark assertion. But I also saw this morning something that someone had tweeted about the CEO of Boeing saying uh, if the US government was going to take equity in his business, he wasn't interested in their support. And I just thought, if that's true, then just get in the sea. Mm. So yeah. unfortunately, I mean, uh, uh, taking this stuff at face value, and again, I haven't sort of independently valid, validated it yet or confirmed yeah. it, yeah. but taking this stuff at face value, what, what the, 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 horrible, the horrible indicator is that basically the corporate class, the capitalist class, if you prefer, has learned nothing from yeah. 2008. Well, that the exactly the same. Well, indeed. So exactly the same behavior is manifesting itself. Mm. And, and I just think, you know, people should, it, it, these sort of so-called titans of industry should be a little bit careful about how they behave. Because the, I, in terms of, say, social behavior after the pandemic, I think people are going to have long memories about some of the companies that have not necessarily treated their employees remotely well over this. And I'm not mentioning any more names. Well, yeah, I'm, it, look, my, my ex-girlfriend, who I've talked to a lot about the US airlines, has told me um, that they just use it as an excuse to weaken their position every time they renegotiate their contracts. Yeah. And they're doing exactly the same. So, so this is pe people's lives as bargaining chips. Yeah, basically. So... You know, September the 11th, everybody needs to take a cut. Everybody needs to, to tighten their belts. Everybody needs to be realistic, blah, blah, blah. And then they bring that in and then nothing changes. As soon as the, the profits start rolling in, nothing changes. Mm. You know, and so they'll do the same again. So it'll just be a way to, to you know, weaken the contracts of, of, the, uh, of, of the people who are relying on those jobs. And, and you say that there'll be a backlash, but they can't be. I mean, because people... What else can they do? Oh, no, I'm talking long term here. I'm yeah, not yeah, suggesting yeah. knee jerk. It's yeah, these things are, I mean, if any of these trends were to occur, they're going to take, they're going to be like uh, tectonic shifts. They're not going to happen overnight. Yeah. But I, I'm just curious. I mean, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even forecasting. Them. I'm just suggesting because as I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone in looking at this stuff and thinking, you know, well, this has changed my attitude towards, say, China, for example. 180 degrees. Yeah. I mean, not that we ever had any you know, dog in that fight anyway, but we certainly won't now and certainly won't until, uh, until and unless, A, the Chinese Communist Party is, is unceremoniously jumped from any kind of relevance and, B, the valuations in that market are appe as appealing as there, there are in other parts of the world, not least Japan. And so it's a, it's a two strikes for us because, A, morally we'd never – remotely be interested in engaging and B, it's too expensive anyway. Well, so it, it doesn't matter. It's completely academic. Can, but yeah, I just I wonder how many that? other I just wonder how many other people are going to come to the same conclusion over time. Well yeah, possibly, but I think may, maybe people are going to see that the the Communist Party is made up of people and they may change those people who have a different attitude. Um and perhaps want to learn from what's happened. Let's let's hope. So if like in normal politics, you, you get bad leaders, you get good leaders. Mm. And if the leaders are changed, then um, people might be more forgiving. So if heads roll, they might say, right, okay, they made a mistake, this won't happen again, etc, etc. And when it comes to the actual Chinese workers themselves, those, as you said, at the top of the show, those aren't the ones that necessarily need to be punished or shouldn't be punished. And therefore, I don't know whether whether Main Street is going to change its attitude, whether we're mm. just going to go, okay, uh, maybe at a political level, we'll have to see how, how that develops. And that could definitely develop in a way that um, national security says we cannot deal with China 
anymore. And that's that's a, another bigger issue. But I think the man on the street and the woman on the street, I don't I don't think they're going to change their behavior. I, d- I don't mm. see it. I don't see well, how... Well, to, to, to be continued, I mean, this is clearly a work in progress. Yeah, we'll, we'll, see, we'll see, we'll see. It is interesting. I wanted to ask, actually, um, and this is a question on the, the NHS, do you think a series of private healthcare systems would have coped with this situation better than, than the NHS? I'm, I'm going to refer you to, if you can remember the, the, the podcast we did with um, our friend in um, France, Jörg Guido Hulsman. Okay. Who's uh, a, a classical economist slash Austrian school economist. Mm. And he, I, I always remember, he, he, he really took me by surprise when we were talking about, you know, what would you change? And he said, I'd get government out of the education business. Yes. I would also say government has no business being in anything. Uh, but clearly, so there are clearly things that, that we, we call on government to provide. And yeah. there are things that the private sector won't because it's not cost effective. So, we, so the government basically, basically handles the army, uh, the police, and, and the streetlights, for want of a better way of putting it. So those, right. those, those kind of services are taken, you know, they're, 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 they're done by the state because no, no one's interested in providing them otherwise. It's just not, you know, it's just not the way the, the private sector works. Okay, so that's, that's uh, he, he's coming from the education system. But I'd say, it, it, to answer your question, why, why is it in the healthcare either? Everything that the dead hand of government bureaucracy touches turns to ash. So the idea that the NHS is not well handling this, I don't think it should come as any surprise to anybody. And there is a brilliant essay, which again, we can put in the show notes from Theodore Dalrymple in Law and Liberty called Where Will the Coronavirus Lead Us? And he says, that talking about the comparative success of South Korea in dealing with this versus Fra- France, which is where Dalrymple, I think, is based at the moment. And he said, and this is, this is, this is pretty much live commentary because it was written very, very recently. Um, in spite of the enormous weight of the state, we find, according to the latest headlines, that face masks are lacking for health staff in public-run facilities. And I think he's actually talking about France, let alone the UK. This is not necessarily anyone's fault because the crisis was not foreseen, but it makes you wonder how much of a country's GDP the state must absorb before there are enough face masks. South Korea is at the moment being held up as exemplary in the way it tackled the crisis, certainly by comparison with European countries, yet the state's share of its GDP in South Korea at about 16% is less than a third of France's. In other words, an inflated state may not be a strong or efficient state. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very important to differentiate between you know the hardworking doctors and nurses that are on the front line. It's just that the inefficiency inefficiency of management layers that that seem to sit on top and just sort of suck the money out of out of the system to make it inefficient. Would that be? I think that's a fair fair, fair analysis. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I just wondered on something like this whether whether individual private healthcare systems would have been able to cope um, as well. I mean, this has been over, this has been overwhelming for pretty much everybody that it's touched. Yeah. But but um, which, which would have worked better? Because it's like you know, this at this point in time, you would want something that is a uh, it's it's one of those events that that you wouldn't have potentially foreseen and taken account of. Um, and no money would have been put aside for because it's a national emergency. But that's when you need a national health system, surely. Well, I, I'd say... Sh- I mean, surely. that's just the argument. That's just yeah, the, the thought. But yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd go with maybe, the, maybe the, the pragmatic solution is to have both. So yeah. you have private health care for those people who... It's like the whole nature of the welfare system, the welfare state, that you have private provision for those who can afford it, 
And for those people who, who are otherwise in danger of falling through the cracks, you have the state supporting them. Mm. But the people who have the resources, the likes of us, to be blunt, uh, pay for private health care. And then the people who haven't got those resources can then go to the state. But don't expect the state to provide a, a, a service that's as good as the private one. Yeah, I just wondered if if it was happening, you could just see prices going through the roof for, for, for you know for hospital beds in private healthcare. You know that I, that I, that I don't know. But yeah. I mean, there must be. I mean, because this has now become a global problem, there surely will be evidence. You know, when the dust has settled, as to which countries mm. and which which sectors did gave the best service. And I, I don't think it'll come down to this sort of state versus private. Mm. Uh, debate. I think it'll come down to some people were just doing it right, and some people were doing it abysmally. Look how the Germans were doing it. Absolutely unbelievable. I mean, did you have you seen their numbers? Well, I know, I know that they they, they look like they've been handling it well. Yeah. Well, it's fairly. But I think I think that the problem is that the data isn't 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 clean enough. Right. Okay. That, that, because everyone's assuming that there are these many cases, but you know they're saying that there's so many more cases probably in the UK than than people appreciate. So. This, that affects the mortality rate. Well, how do they know as well? How come they've got well, so exactly, many tests? Well, they, they, can't, they can't unless they do the testing. Yeah, but how And have we haven't got the resources to do, to do the tests. Yeah. How, but, how the Germans did it, I don't know. Yeah, it's I don't weird, know how isn't it? Works they, in, I don't yeah. know how Asgate works in Germany. I think we should go to questions. Um, go for it. <clears throat> so we've got a... Uh, <clears throat> we had one that was sent via... Actually, we don't know... The, I don't know the name of it because it was directly to you, but uh, it is... From 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 someone on Twitter, uh, <laughs> I want to start investing my cash, and foolishly, I've invested too. Early. Oh, this is from, this is from Sanjay. <clears throat> from Sanjay. Oh, Sanjay. Okay. Yeah. I did, did. There's no name on this this uh, report. Sorry, Sanjay, if I've just just outed you to <laughs> yeah, <oops. laughs> to our listeners. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I knew I would do something like this. I get. <clears throat> let's start from the top. I wanted to start investing my cash, and I fo- foolishly, I've invested too early. Well, don't know. Maybe you haven't. I knew I would do something like this. I get too excited too early, so I split the pot into thirds. So one third is now invested, even though the share prices of my investments are still falling and looking more like bargains. My questions are, when the world goes mad and there's blood on the streets, how do you know where to invest? Are there any indicators we can use to know we are close to the bottom? Okay, well, I'll take the first bit of this and then I'll I'll, I'll let you... He said, "With a hospital pass." He said, "I'll let you do with a second. No, no, so. no, no, it's extra tip. Ah. <laughs> so, so the, sort of the overarching response for me is going to be: firstly, the stock market is not the be all and end all. Um, so, in terms of how we, uh, within my firm, we're trying to navigate this mess. You know, the the stock market accounts for perhaps a third of our portfolios. Uh, roughly, very these are very rough approximate figures. Roughly a third is then accounted for by trend following funds, systematic trend following funds call it momentum strategies, which you can do at an individual level, but we haven't got the, the skill set to do that or the temperament to do that. And then a third into call, call them real assets, notably gold and silver and, and, gold and, and sensibly priced gold and silver miners with little or no debt. So that's how we split the pots. A third, a third, a third, value stocks, trend followers and gold, very, very roughly. So there is more, more to investing than just the stock market, but I appreciate for most people it is going to be stocks that they focus on. Um, I would defer to my long or default to my long-term, you know, lazy thesis, which is, well, there's no rush to be invested. So the the issue is, you know, we're trying to, we're, everyone's trying to work out how long this crisis lasts. Nobody has the answer, but ideally, with, with uh, I'm not saying hope is a great thing to be using because that can steer you, a, you know, see you awry. 
but let's assume for the sake of argument that that you know it may well be over in terms of the the the, the death count uh, in terms of the, the the worst period for this this pandemic being in a couple of months time say next next two or three months on that basis i think it would be reasonable to to invest on the basis of let's say you're a third invested now it, firstly decide how much you want to allocate to the stock market full stop because there are other assets available uh, and then when, when you've decided on what percentage of your pot stock should be and assuming you've got income coming in then this is an ongoing process it's not a one-off process either then um just just drip feed that in over a time period that makes you comfortable so in other words if you're happy being fully invested into stocks within say uh adjust your timetable to suit but there's there's no rush uh in terms of the indicators that's when i'll flip it back to you paul because i i genuinely won't be following technicals to any large degree but there are things I'd be looking at, for example, say recovery in the copper price, um, and beyond that, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd leave it to and I'd, I'd, I'd defer to what what you think are going to be good indicators to try and to try and assess a bottom in the market. Well, the the first thing is you never know that there's a bottom in the market until after it's been formed, and so therefore you may have a false low, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have at least gone in and attempted to buy. So as I said last week, it looked like there was a signs of a, a bottoming phase and that still seems to be in place now whether that holds and or unfolds we just don't know at this stage but there was enough if you went back like a week and a half when everything was going down like a like a safe out of a window that was not the time to buy um, but once the market's made a low and you see some form of recovery in in base metals um, in um, in individual stocks and also, something I looked at was the the fact that volatility, the VIX index, looked like it was topping out. Mm. So they they gave me some signals that that the market was approaching a form of a low. And the VIX, the VIX for anyone that's not familiar, is basically widely uh, widely acknowledged to be a, a fear index, effectively. Yeah, so the exactly. higher the VIX, the more panic there is in the market. Exactly. So you've got rolling headlines of how bad this is. Everyone's in lockdown. It couldn't really get much worse. Um, and yet the market is is actually stabilized and starting to move up. Now that that is an environment that indicates some form of a low, but uh, you know it's still not enough because we we've we've fallen so far. We we could go back to test the previous lows before it even goes back up again. So the the answer is that you you can't answer that question. It's not possible. But what you can do is deploy your capital in a sensible way. And maybe thirds is too big. Perhaps mm. deploying it into smaller sections 10 percent, so yeah 10 percent might be better and feed that into the market and once you invest in something if it then starts to to unfold and go down again don't be afraid to get out even if it's just at a small profit or a small loss because that's the nature of 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 trading you know, getting out a small loss is much better than getting out at a big loss or being forced out. But it also uh, it also depends on how long what how long your investment horizon is. So if exactly. your investment horizon, let's say you, I don't know how old Sandra is, but let's say you're thirty, your investable horizon realistically is thirty plus years because you're basically saving for a pension. I, yeah. I would assume. So on that basis, you can be, let's say, I, I, I choose these words advisedly, but relatively relaxed about putting money into the market because you only need to touch it for decades yet. Yes. But then, then it becomes again, like you say, what you actually pick. Cause I, I remember a guy who was, who was doing my course and he came up to me with a chart and he said, what do you think of this? This is everybody hates this stock, but I'm going to put it in my pension. Cause he was, you know, sort of in his twenties 
mm. and hold it for the long term. And he said, I know it's in a big downward trend, but I'd, I'd like to hold on to it. Um, and I, How I, is Neil Woodford doing, by the way? <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, so I looked at the chart and said, well, look, the, the market's going down here. There's no reason to buy yet. You know, just wait until it's it's based. Wait until it's stabilized. At the very least, wait until it's stabilized before you go back in. Mm. Um, and, wait, for, uh, wait for a confirmation of an uptrend. Yeah. And and you leave a little bit on the floor. But that for the, for the, that's for the surety of at least to have... So you're not buying a falling safe, you know, that, that, mm. that, that's why you would do that. And it, it feels a bit like, oh, you know, why would I buy it at $20 when I could have bought it at $10? Well, the reason why you didn't buy it at $10 is because you didn't know if it was going to go to zero. And it happened to be a chart of Enron. And, mm. and which it, went to zero. Which went to zero. And that's the problem. If you pick the wrong stock, it can go to zero. So here's, here's, here's hmm. another, here's another a bold assertion, not a forecast million assertion that this crisis will mark the end of the growth of passive investing um, to the extent that you know, it will, it, I think a lot of people will, will come to the conclusion that, after, again, after the dust has settled, if the dust settles any time during the balance of this year, then it will pay to be discerning once again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as it, as it always so, should so, have so, done. Really. Yeah, as it always should have done. But again, in a bull market, you know, everyone gets a bit everyone's, lazy. Every, everyone's an expert in a bull yeah. market, aren't they? And um, so the, the, the risk of sounding overly simplistic, I don't think it's incorrect or inappropriate necessarily to look at the stock market in, in, and split it up into three um, sort of qualitative um, blocks. So you've got the red zone, which is possibly it's, it's going to get taken out. It may never come back. It may just be gone forever. You know, some airlines, cruise lines, you know, some restaurant chains, that kind of stuff, uh, which is sad, but you know, it's also the way the market works, the way free market capitalism is supposed to work. Uh, and then you've got the sort of the amber sector, which is going to be impaired, but will will hopefully bounce back, um, albeit with a you know a haircut of sorts. And then there's the green stuff, which is actually set to benefit from from all of this mess. And the stuff in the in the green segment would be probably too rich for us to buy because. Clearly, by definition, by being a winner, it, it may already be higher than when this crisis ignited, though there probably aren't too many stocks like that. But I'm thinking some pharmaceuticals companies will undoubtedly benefit from this. Some providers of you know, medical equipment and sanitary equipment will clearly benefit from this, at least in the short run. So basically, split the market up into three and then decide where you want to be invested. But the, the critical thing, and again, I think we talked about it on the call with Glenn um, yesterday, is uh, the, the, the critical thing is. Being, being, giving the full respect to what's actually happening in the world at the moment, namely every economy is being thrown in the deep freeze, and then saying, okay, so the one, so on taking the view that it, survival is the optimal thing. In other words, this is return of capital, not just return on capital. Then um, avoid, like the plague, if you'll pardon the expression, um, those businesses that are, that went into this storm carrying too much debt already, because unless they get bailed out. Um, and I'm not advocating bailouts necessarily, but unless they get bailed out, they may not survive. So yeah. you can then start to be that much more discerning. So, for example, if I had a choice between, uh, okay, so let's make it ridiculous. If I had a choice between buying shares in a cruise liner versus shares in a supermarket, I'd choose the supermarket right now. Yeah, I'd say it depends on the cruise liner <clears throat> Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's priced to destruction. But it it depends. It just depends. But I'm just saying all things equal, and that's yeah. that's clearly an absurd thing to say because yeah. you know all things are never equal. But yeah, um, and all, I, the, the other thing is you've got to invest. I think we talked about this again on on the Glenn podcast, which is going to be a good one. To, looking forward to releasing that. Um, when 
you've got to do something that fits in with your own personality. Absolutely and right. Don't, and don't just do things because other people are doing it. It's got to work for you. Yeah, it needs look, to be something that you can sleep at night with. Yeah, exactly. And and just think through all the different scenarios and how you'd feel. How would you feel about you know only investing a little bit, but it being a bit safer <clears throat> against investing a lot and thinking, oh, I'd love to have invested a bit more because the market's gone up a lot. And I was right. I mean, it's always really easy just to kick yourself about what you should have done. But that's that's with the benefit of hindsight. We we you can't invest and trade like that. Mm. You know, there's uncertainty out there. There always will be. That never goes away, no matter what the environment you're in. And therefore, you've you've got to make peace with that and try and try and uh, allocate your your money in a way that you, as Tim says, you've got to sleep at night. But use whatever indicators and and analysis work for you. If it's value investing. There's plenty of ways to invest in that way and plenty of uh, you know books and stuff to learn about how to do it. If it's technicals, then that as well. I see an advantage in technicals that means you can switch from any asset uh, that's out there um, and, and look for whatever opportunities may be in, in you know, a range of products rather than just in shares, as Tim said as well. That's a very good point. Don't just limit it to, to one asset class. But if you only want to trade in one asset class, then that, that's completely up to you. Um, but, uh, th- those are the things I'd look out for, but nobody knows where the, where the low is. It's impossible to know. And we, we just invest cautiously knowing that we don't know if that makes sense. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Well, we've got another question from force majeure, which I would love to read, but we're gonna have to save it for next week. Ah, so- teaser. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to conclude then with, with two quotes. So I think as everyone's currently in lockdown or should be. Um, they'll have a chance to do, catch up with their reading. And I think one thing that will be of immense benefit to people who haven't already discovered this is basically a book called Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Oh, uh, wow. And Marcus Aurelius uh, was effectively the Stoic emperor in um, ancient Rome. And he's probably a, probably the best, one of the best regarded of the, of the emperors. And this is just, and he basically wrote, wrote so he kept a little diary and these quotes have sort of survived through the ages. So there's two, two quotes from Marcus Aurelius. One is, you have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. And the other one is, everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. So I would encourage people to sort of avoid as much of the mainstream media as is achievable in these extraordinary times and also try and, try and tap your inner stoic. What a great bit of advice. I might put that at the end of every podcast. Go for it. Go for it. Well, Marcus really so it's out of copyright, so we can use it with abandon. <laughs> Excellent. Tim, thank you so much for your thoughts and your comments. Pleasure. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure, and as always. And I'm already looking forward to the next one. So, brilliant. So, I hope it all goes well, and we'll see you soon. Thanks and for hey, listening. Thanks for your hey, questions. And hey, let's be careful out there. Be careful out there. Cheerio. Bye. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.